I, uh, I was thinking about this message today and in our scheme of things here, we're talking about the plans and my slide here shows several pictures of different things that the church has done over the years. We, we serve in a lot of ways and we do a lot of things and all of them are done together. And I thought, you know, what would it be like? Today is uh, Super Bowl Sunday. It's, it's kind of a national holiday. How many are going to watch the Super Bowl today? How many are not? Oh, I see more than not. Yeah, all right. Some are with me, I guess. Anyway, but you are planned for God's family. Part of the planning of your life, I want you to know that you play an important part in this family as well as the church family as a whole around the world. Your part is very important. And, and I was thinking about why some people don't come to church every Sunday. You know, Sunday and being in church should be a part of our habit of life. It should be a part of the DNA in which we ha and of, of who we are and, and our makeup. And it's so important. In fact, I'm going to get into that. I thought I would make a list of having a, a list of no excuse Sunday. So next Sunday, we're going to have a no excuse Sunday. And I want to remind you of that. And some things are going to, we're going to do here. Number one, we're going to put cots in the foyer for those who say that Sunday is their only day to sleep in. So we'll get that covered. Secondly, we'll have eye drops available for those who have tired eyes from watching TV too late on Saturday night. And, and next Sunday, also for a no excuse Sunday, we're going to have blankets furnished for those who are uh, too cold during the service and fans for those who are too hot. So I'll have a fan every service and for some of you, you'll get a blanket. Um, the, also for the No Excuse Sunday, we're going to have scorecards here. They'll be available for those who uh, want to list those who are not here so they can make a check off the hypocrite list. And of course, at, at the very top of the page, there'll be a blank space for your own name as well. So. Um, I want you to know as well next Sunday for the No Excuse Sunday, relatives and friends will be able to be in attendance for those who can't cook dinner as well as be in church. So um, one section of the church is going to be devoted to trees and grass so that those who enjoy say that God is there, you know, that going out into the woods, that, that'll be. So we'll make sure to have that for those of you who are that. Doctors and nurses will be here next Sunday as well for those who are always sick on Sunday. I want to make sure that there's no excuse there. Um, and we're going to have the sanctuary both decorated for Christmas and, and, and poinsettias and Easter lilies for Easter as well for those who never see the church without them. Um, uh, so all of these things, are gonna, we're going to provide hearing aids next week as well for those who can't hear the sermon and of course cotton for those who can. Um, but I hope to see you here. It's going to be a great Sunday. Of course, I jest. When I was a young man, I struggled with many things that young men struggle with. And I, women and older men as well, and it's not just a young man's predicament, but I struggled with prideful ambition. I believed I could do anything better than most people. I'm sure none of you, none of you have ever thought that way. Never struggled with that. I, I fought through battles, uh, finding my own real purpose. Those, some of those teenage years and young uh, even in the early 20s, those are, those are hard things sometimes to, to fight through. Like, like many young men, I struggled with lust. I, I fought through the battle of finding purpose. I was hot-headed and for quite some time, quite unreasonable. Some might say even still today. Um, 
I've acted arrogantly and in rebellion toward my parents. Um, I was mean to my siblings, yes, even Amy, actually, especially my sister Amy, poor gal, and yet she has served with me by my side faithfully for many, many years. Um, I've acted uh, poorly and many times uh, I pretty much did whatever that I wanted, whether it hurt someone or not, or people. And, and people would generally call me a faithful young man. They would call me a talented young man. Um, as far as being called a good young man, um, I don't know if I really received that compliment very much, but those others for sure. So I, needless to say, um, my mom's hair did grow back, as you can see, um, and, and she didn't pull her hair out all, all the time over me. But um, why am I telling you this? Because not unlike this very place or this very altar, it was in moments like Sunday night services where I was on my face crying out to God. And there was a regimen of elderly ladies willing to lay their hands on me, some of them suddenly, um, <laughs> but to pray for me. And Pastor Smith, the pastor in our church in Impala, was so patient with me, I was so, so arrogant. But it was at this altar that the Holy Spirit touched me in a church family with people that loved me. Being a part of a church family is important. The church, number one, is God's headquarters for the war here on earth. The church, friends, this environment the people, the atmosphere is a place that's conducive for meeting with God. And it was a place in the early New Testament. I, I was moved. I, I was captivated by God's presence in this place, in a place not unlike this. And we cannot make God move, friends. He is moving. When Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished, it is done. When he went, ascended to heaven and poured out the Holy Spirit on all of us, it is done. The Spirit of God has been poured out. The Spirit of God is alive and active. His anointing is available. There's nothing wrong with the poorer. There's usually something wrong with the vessel. It's up to us to be listening and, and to be in tune with hearing God. And we can't make God move. He's already moving. But we can create a vessel. We can create an environment where he is welcome. And that's what the church is. The church is God's idea for his children to meet together as a family and experience his power because of the war on earth. The plan for your life and my life, friends, is to be connected with his family. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7, the scripture says, and Paul writes, and I encourage you to turn your Bibles there if you can, or I have it on the screen here, but uh, he writes this to me, and this was part of our intensive this week, great intensive, amen? Of those that were here, uh, we were so blessed, and we have a lot of the scripture of Ephesians memorized. We have been rehearsing it every day this week. Ephesians 3, 7, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, Paul is writing, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone that is a plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things so that, catch this, through the church, the manifold, 
many, many folds or a lot of or an abundance of that the abundance of the wisdom of God might now be made to you to the rulers who the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places you're meeting here today you're experiencing the songs that were led by our worship team you entering into prayer for one another you being having walked through the front door of this building to meet with this family no matter where the family meets is a spiritual battle you have willingly, friends, whether you know it or not, you have come to this place to engage in the war. This place, the church of God, is a place where we fight in the heavenly places. As the scripture just told us that we are announcing, we are saying as the church when we gather to the rulers and authorities that, hey, we're ready to fight. Further down in, in chapter Three, verse 14 it says for, he writes he goes on he says for this reason I bow my knees before the father verse 15 from whom every family in heaven now remember a couple weeks ago we talked about the fact that God has created families in heaven right the trinity is a symbol of that perfect family he has created spiritual beings angels and the sons of God and the stars of heaven all of these are uh, beings between humankind and the supernatural. They, they were created by God and they're beings that are very, so he's created a family in heaven and he's created a family on earth. And he says a family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. He's still talking about meeting together as the church. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to what? Comprehend something. Here it comes with all the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. That we may have the strength to understand the wisdom of the love of God. The love of God. That you may be filled with the, that surpasses knowledge, so we need that. That we may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the joy of us serving Christ. This is the joy of us meeting together. I have a little video here I want us to take a look at because it's part of our family of God. They might have a different congregation meeting in a different location, but we're going to be with them in eternity. And there ability to meet together like this is suppressed and look at the joy on their faces when they simply are handed for the first time a bible <clears throat> i want to explain why i was gathering here today is God's strategic <sighs> why this is God's strategic plan for the war on earth today Christians and their messages stifled in Russia for the last couple of years Russia the government has kicked out our efforts there the, the government has halted the last four years because of political posture and rules for the country. It's illegal in North Korea to meet as a group of people like this. 
where there's an estimated 300,000 that are part of the family of God. I was watching a documentary with some of my boys, and we love motorcycles, and this guy is going across the world on his motorcycle. It's an incredible feat with no money. So he goes to a place and he'll, he'll get a job somewhere. Even in the poorest of conditions, he'll find work, you know, moving windows or carrying dirt just to get enough money for gasoline to keep his motorcycle going so he can go around the world. And when he got um, to Afghanistan, as he was going through Afghanistan, the persecution of him, uh, the persecution of Christians was great where he was. And the only people that would take this guy in were Christians. He's not a Christian himself. I mean, by the whole documentary, you can tell he's not a Christ follower. He's, he's far from God. But Christians took him into their home. And by the end of his two-week stay there, it broke my heart because the father that had taken them in had some daughters. And the oldest daughter, he wanted this guy to marry her, to get her out. He said, I, just marry her. Take her away from here so that she won't have to suffer the persecution. And he talks in that video about them being Christians there and how strange that was to him because in Europe where he was from, being a Christian or was nothing. It was extreme persecution in Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Sudan, Yemen, and, and make no mistake, part of the reason that we see the uprising in the news in Iran is because there are 800,000 Christians coming in Iran. And, and they're young people, and they're beginning to realize the freedom that there is in Christ. And the message of Jesus is being stymied because governments desire all the control, and they want the joy, and the, they want the purpose of people's lives to be in the government as a collective, you know, rather than individualism, as the gospel brings to bear. The church is part of a spiritual warfare, and governments, communism, oppressive religions are all part of the enemy's work to shut the, the voices of, of your worship, the voices of praise to God, of living the freedom that there is in Christ, of even possessing and holding the Bible, of which I have dozens. The church is in a spiritual war. The church is in the spirit war in the demonic world in European countries and in the West here in America in general. There's very little tolerance for the church's message of Christ because they don't see the freedom that there is in Jesus. And, and, and there's been a couple instances in Canada and, and in, in, in um, uh, Great Britain and Germany where Christian preachers, street preachers have been arrested because they stand up and they say something against sin. The popular sin to, to talk about in some of the situations is homosexuality and just because they say that it's a sin or, or just announce that it's a sin or, or stand against and say that human life begins at conception that they're arrested you don't see the love that the church brings sometimes though through this and they judge the world judges biblical biblical values kind of as old fashioned and, and, and sounds like the work of Satan to me doesn't it to manipulate the message. And that is exactly what Paul says here in Ephesians. And why he says it, through the church, the manifold, the manifold, the abundance of God's wisdom might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. I don't want us to have any doubt that you and I are being, being here today. We are being indifferent to a contemporary culture. We're not here today because we simply want to be indifferent to the ways of politics or protest some great political purpose or wealth or the filth being fed to our children even. We're here because we see in the natural that these things are only symptoms of what's happening 
in the spiritual realm. The Bible says that when church worships, when we worship as God's people, that God closes the mouth of the enemy. He shuts the mouth of the accuser. And, and one of us alone, the Bible says, has the authority through Jesus to put a thousand to flight and, and, and the demons to flight. But two, the Bible says 10,000 when we agree together. The scripture tells us that as Christ followers, when the enemy comes, God followers one way that he will have to flee in seven. Friends, there is no issue with God's power. There's only issue with God's people holding on to that power. And, and, and friends, I think we need to realize that the church here is an instrumental part of this war. It is part of God's plan for our lives. All of us, we are not an exception to the rule. We are better together. How many know it's good to be in God's family? It's good to be part of that family. And, and that's what we do when we agree or we confirm something. We say, amen. I mean, how many of you guys are sitting next to a good-looking woman? Amen. Whoa, wait a minute. How many guys are sitting next to a good-looking woman? Amen. All right, I thought there was, how to get better than that? Man, ladies, the right cross works really well. Those bony elbows as well. You know, God has a lot of glory, so he wants to share it with his kids. The scripture tells us in Hebrews 2.10, very clearly, it says, God, for whom through everything was made, chose to have many children into his glory. Bring many children into his glory. Your earthly family is, in the next scripture, your earthly family is only a picture of your eternal spiritual family. Galatians 4.7 says, since you, there it is, we are better together. There. Okay, it's not there. There it is. Yay! All right. And then I, there we go. Now, now Galatians. Since you are his child, everything he has belongs to just somebody else. Just somebody on the street, far from God. You. We've been given the family name. You've been given the family likeness. Some of us. <laughs> All of us. Amen. The family access, the intimate family access, the family inheritance. We've been given these things by God. Our spiritual family is actually more important than your earthly one because you're going to be with them forever. Hopefully they're one and the same. Together is better. Together is better. And I want to show you. Cream. Together is better. Amen. Remember being in LA? Together is better. We're in LA, we're ministering on the street, people, rats, people living in tents. We were there together. Wouldn't be fun by yourself. Be tough. Together is better. Pastor Josh, the work of the ministry that you do or have done with others Together is better. Pastor Sharon, remember a long time ago when it snowed? I mean, I'm talking 23 years ago. And you know, always back there by that chimney, I always teased you, remember? I said, could you turn the lights off? I said, men love darkness because their deeds are evil. I would always tease you because you like to pray with the lights off. So it, it was fine with me. So we'd be in here praying. There was only three people that showed up in my family because it was snowing out. 
Together was better. Together was better. Jim, remember it wasn't too long ago we were going through a hard time? Me too. Together is better. Nancy, remember not that long ago, about four years ago, I was going through a difficult time. And you blessed me and my family. Jim, together is better. Together is better. I love being in this sanctuary by myself sometimes and praying alone with the music. But when somebody else comes, when there's somebody else here praying too, together is better. When we join hands, uh, Roy, remember being in Cuba? We're in Cuba and we're working and we have a team there and we brought the money in and all this stuff. And we were joking on the plane ride over. Roy and I were saying, you know what, Roy? I hear they do cavity, body cavity searches. And Roy, he was fit to be tied. We got to customs on the way back. You know who got held back all by themselves? Roy. And, and it, it was because I tell you what happened. The, the lady took out a rubber glove and snapped it like this. Sir, please remove your belt. It was better together. I'm reminded of many things as a church family that we've done. Together's better. The events that we've done, the times we've reached out, the time that I was in LA with Nikki and we were riding behind the van that had all the food and the supplies that we were handing out in the street. And the van swerved, the service van, we were following them. And the young man wasn't buckled in, fell out the door, hit his head in the pavement, and was a vegetable. But we were there. We were praying for him. I couldn't imagine being alone. She was right there. I was praying for him. He came to for a second and punched me right in the face. It was a difficult thing, but together it was better. Loretta, remember when Emily died, and we all gathered here, and Pastor, Pastor Blanche led that service so beautifully. The whole church mourned because she died like one day before she turned 95, I think. And she taught class, she loved us. But together is better. I could give example after example after example the last 24 and a half years just in this family together is better together is better God has called you to be a part of his family when Jesus speaks to the church in Revelation and, and Paul to the churches he writes to they're speaking to individual congregations and they're speaking to small congregations even though we know historically of large gatherings uh, such as Ephesus where they would meet and, and perhaps thousands of Christians could have been together in the, the Grand Colosseum that was there to meet together. Usually the churches were very small. They were a few families, not unlike the church in America. In fact, 70% of all churches in America are this size or smaller. Did you know that? 70%. 80% of all churches are under 400 people. 
98, 97, 98% are under 500. Whether it was a church in Corinth or Ephesus, they addressed the needs of the individual churches like our church is here today because each church had, a different, had different people in them, different relationships. They had different groups and, and different things going on. The, the culture of each place was just a, perhaps a little different. And each one, though, the, the church people were doing life together. They were doing church together. In fact, Paul addresses the leaders of each individual church and, and gives them advice for their, their leaders of their churches because each church had a certain tolerance for what they would permit or allow, and he gave them instructions. On, on how to do that as leaders of the church and to, to, be, to be significant in that. Paul addresses these things and tells them how to, to do everything and to, 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 for worship, to, to receiving gifts and offerings, of spirit, administering spiritual gifts and the responsibility of the leaders of the congregation. Why did he do this? Because it was their community. It was their gathering. It was their people. They knew them. Abundant life is no different this way, friends. Each one of you makes up the body of believers so uniquely. We bear each other's burdens. We celebrate one another's victories. We work in unity toward common goals. You are called to belong. You are called to belong. 1 Corinthians 12, 24 says, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. One member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You cannot be the body of Christ alone. You might be part of the body, but a functioning part of the body, you can't be it on your own. It's impossible. We all different parts make up the body and, and the plan for your life and my life is that we will be a part of God's family. This is the big concept. This is a big idea from the New Testament scriptures that, that God has gifted the church and he has put people in it to love each other and to care for one another. You can't be the body of Christ on your own. And, and perhaps I'm gonna introduce a little thing here, but maybe shrugged by some, that's not what, our primary goal in abundant life is just to grow in numbers. Perhaps we may not understand that or that's not what it is. Our primary purpose is to make disciples by doing the two things Jesus said, to love God and to love people. And to be in relationship with those people. And relationships are difficult, they're messy. We don't wanna do that part of church, but friends, that's what we're called to. If 30 people are calling the pastor all the time, it's not gonna grow very well. Larry has only so much, especially when everyone in this room has my cell phone number. <laughs> That's how we conduct business, but we've gotta change. Many in the church world might disagree too. The common view is that we wanna grow bigger with more numbers for bigger sake because we have a great speaker or some great orator or somebody that we can hold up front and high and we can all ooh and all over the new revelation that he's brought to us. Oh wow, this guy is such a fantastic Bible expositor. You've gotta hear this guy. When the hope, the real challenge for the preacher, and I hope the ministry always is an abundant life, is not for you to come and see what great diamond I've dug up this Sunday, but that you will bring your pickaxe and your shovel with me to find your own. If we attend abundant life and you're engaged in worship and the word and personally joining with others in this journey to in spiritual maturity, then that's a win. 
And hear me in this, the church world and some of the things we consider to be successful are really not. I would rather be a part of a group of people striving to be more like Jesus, no matter the size of the crowd, than to have the, na the masses, have the masses without discipleship or relationship. So I'm not saying that those two things can't align. I don't want us to misunderstand. I'm not saying that they won't. And I have a great desire to see abundant life grow that way. And we've seen it in many ways. And, but growth isn't always in numbers. Growth isn't always in numbers. A lot of people attend different churches in our community because they are traditionally from those lines of denomination. We don't want that. And to those who say oh, abundant life always has to stay the size that it is, I, I hope and pray that you, you would change your mind. I want to go to this size church, just bless God, because it's just the way that it is and I'm never going to change. You better change. Or There's a lot of other churches I could give you a list in the community that you're welcome to go visit. <laughs> Did you just say that really out loud? <laughs> well, you get my drift though, right? We're called to belong. Let me ask you, are you engaged in the Bible study at Abundant Life with your church family? Are you involved in contributing to a ministry at Abundant Life? When you're asked, do you say that you are a part of the Abundant Life church family? Not that you identify with a certain denomination, but you identify with the family. A church family keeps you from being isolated St. Francis said after years of service in a monastery that the only thing missing in a monastery was ministry. I love your picture, Sandy. It's great. I love the colored hair. It's awesome. There's our team at the border, right on the equator in Kenya. The church body is a classroom. You know, when I was in, when I, the Bible school and the courses that I've taken um, online and, and through correspondence over the years, I've learned some theology and those classes, those classroom experiences especially are very beneficial for our lives. Life is a classroom. The church, in fact, is a classroom. It's a classroom where we learn to get along with God's family. I, I hope you hear this. Some of you are good students. Some of you are indifferent. Come on now. Some of us are good students. Some of us are indifferent. Why? Because we, we want to be isolated. We don't want to connect with people. People are messy. When we start getting involved, we, we learn that we don't necessarily like someone's personality or, or they might have a talent that we have. So we're jealous or we, we, we have, we're having contention all the time. And so after a while, all these things begin and we have to grow beyond them because being in a church family moves you out of isolation. It pulls you into a family. It pulls you into a group. 1 John 3, 16, Jesus Christ laid down his life. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Yeah, I say, Pastor, I'm willing to lay down my life, but I'm not willing to go to that class. I'm willing to go, I'm, I'll go on the mission field. Oh, but you won't even serve in the nursery, man. A church family helps you grow in the Holy Spirit and godly character. 
Over 50 times the New Testament scripture uses the phrase one another. We are commanded to love one another, pray for one another, encourage, admonish, greet, serve, teach, accept, honor one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, submit to one another, be devoted to one another. It's just like a regular family with parents and siblings, right? God is our father. We are his children and all of us together, we're, we're becoming the Christians. We're becoming the church that God's called us to do. We're born into the family of God. In a family, you don't get to choose your family members. <laughs> That'd be good, right? I was born first. Amy and I get in a fight. I don't like you anymore. Trade her in. Take her down to the exchange. I want a different sister. When we become part of a Christian, we're born into the family of God. In a family, you don't get to pick the family member. You don't get everything you want, but you are a family. There's that brother-in-law you just don't get. There's that sister you may not like, but you're a family. A healthy family, people tolerate the differences and they, they work hard to become friendly and even care for one another no matter what's going on. They, they make time to be together and, and work and play together. And as we do that, we, we begin to develop a, a higher level of character. God begins to weed out the bad things in our lives. And in a family, there are private matters as well. There are personal matters. There are things you just don't share with everyone. There are members that struggle. And, and more than anything, there are members that challenge you. And a family that loves you can get in the face and get in your face and tell you about it. And you, and you won't just walk away. Amen. Amen. That's how a family is supposed to be. Consider Jacob and Esau and all that they endured and everything that they went through and the hatred and Jacob running away and fearing Esau. Then they're having to meet. And all of a sudden what happens? God made them more prosperous than ever before. People leave churches for several reasons. It's not what they expected or they don't like the preacher or they don't like the music. They, they have trouble with another person that's attending. They, all of which are superficial. The real reason most of the time is they don't like fitting in with the family. It's sad because it's difficult when people do not connect with one another, as the Bible says. I used to spend nights laying awake because I was concerned whether or not someone felt connected enough or I was going to lose them or I wasn't reaching this person or and I realized Larry that's not about you it's about the family of God a healthy church family should force us to, to face God's word head on and, and to encourage us your church family needs you your church family needs you I think that's one of the there we go there it is. It's a selfish position to not serve in the body of Christ. It's a selfish position, if you were a Christian at Abundant Life, to not serve the church and ministry that sustains its purpose and mission. You would not hear this in a church of a thousand people, probably. You wouldn't hear somebody say this or preach it as a point uh, for one of a great expository sermons of some sort. But it's true. The Abundant Life Church family needs you. And I know I mean, it's not a rebuke for us as so much as it an encouragement, an admonishment to say, I am part of the family of God. I am part of the local church body. I, I give, I support, I, I come. And if you are here and you're engaged in worship and you're giving and you're serving in some way or, or connecting with a person, that's really important. That's part of being God's family. 
Your church family needs you. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, a spiritual gift is given to each of us as a means of helping the entire church. Don't misunderstand the point. You may have a wider ministry, but that is in addition to your service in the body. When the scriptures talk about the church, most of the time, a small percentage is talking about the church as a whole. Most of the time, it's talking about the local body of believers. And our gift is given that way. You may have a wider ministry, but that's an addition to your service in your local body. How can I say this? Because Jesus hasn't promised to build your ministry. He promises to build his church. Oh, I, I, I recall um, so many instances of our history at Abundant Life. And I, I recollect just some of the most beautiful moments, some of the things that we've had in the church. And there's been everything from people being healed in a, in a service to people feeling called, God's called to ministry. Do you know right now that there are seven people at Abundant Life Church uh, pursuing their education for ministry? At the end of this month, we're going to show them off and uh, let you pray for them and see them and see what God's doing in their lives. That's remarkable, friends. I don't know if you could find seven people pursuing a, a vocational ministry in a church of a thousand. The front door of the church can be an ominous place but to an unbeliever, but the door of a loving family is different. We're called to make disciples. God's job is to build the church. How you treat the church, I want us to get this, is a direct reflection of how you feel about Christ. Paul writes in Ephesians 5.23 that Christ is the head of the church, his body. His body of which he's a savior. Look at Ephesians 5.29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. He uses the illustration of marriage to say that God loves the church like a husband loves his bride. And Paul uses this illustration of marriage relationship between Christ and the church. Revelation 19.7 says that at the marriage supper of the Lamb, that the church is the bride of Christ. And, and that, that bride of Christ, man, I don't know how you feel about that, but you're going to be a bride. And you're, we are part of the bride of Christ. And, and, and it's, it's an, but the Bible says, Paul says, it's an illustration. It's an illustration how Christ loves a church, an illustration of finally being united with the one, the one that, the, that loves his church, the one that, that God loves. Jesus feels so strongly, in fact, about his bride that he even says that the gates of hell themselves will not prevail or hurt or come, no, they will come against it. They will not prevail when it comes comes against the church to overcome her. He says that he is the one that nurtures his bride 
with the Spirit. He speaks words of love and, and life through his word, and he nurtures his bride, and he affectionately embraces his bride with his power. Jesus is so in love with his bride that he took her place in death. He took her place in torture. He took her place on the cross. He took her place when the spear was getting thrust through his side. He took her place when the crown of thorns was on his head. He took her place as nails were driven through his hands and feet. He took your place. He took the church's place. He took abundant life's place that he loves the church that much. Paul writes that God gives the church to the world and he makes us part of the bride. When the bride suffers, like any husband in this world, he suffers. When the bride is discouraged, he comforts with words. The illustration is the husband and bride because it, it shows the connection of intimacy there, the love of God. And Christ loves his church and gave himself for her. I want us to understand deeply this, how we treat the bride is going to affect the husband. If we have friendship and fellowship with the husband, we've got to take care of the bride. There's no husband that I, that I know that's in this room that would not defend his bride. She is the people of God. The bride of Christ is the people saved by faith in the risen Savior. How you treat the church is a reflection of how you feel about Christ. Is the church, the bride of Christ, just a supplement to your life? Do you serve as part of the bride of Christ, the church? Do you give as God directs you? Do you speak well of the church, the bride of Christ? Are you in friendship and fellowship with the church, the bride of Christ? Can you imagine mistreating the bride of Christ? Could you imagine damaging her reputation? Could you imagine uh, staying out of fellowship with the bride of Christ? If anyone on the planet hurt my wife, they'd be in trouble with me. They would have a problem with me. God is the one who went to the cross for his church. This is not just some guy, but God that is the one building the church. The church is God's plan, his headquarters for the spiritual war on this planet. You are called to be part of his plan, the church. Your church family needs you. You are part of the plan. That is important because how we treat the church is a reflection of our relationship with God. Let's say Casey over here loaned me his whatchamacallit. And I take the whatchamacallit and I get it home and I just throw it in the corner. I stepped on it once. It got some scratches on it. But I used it for whatever I wanted and I brought it back to Casey and it was all dirty and scratched. Casey wouldn't think Boy, Pastor Larry really doesn't think much of my whatchamacallit. He would say, Pastor Larry doesn't think much of me. How we treat the bride is a reflection of how we love our Savior. I want to say one more thing. God invites you to this loving family. 
no matter who we are or where we've come from. That's the beauty of this family. We could be the ugliest, most used up person on the planet. We could be the one that has been mistreated by everyone, pushed in the corner, talked about in wrong ways. We could be the one that was never picked for any team. We could be alone and lonely. We could be broken and addicted. We could be poor without a nickel to our name. We could be living on the street or we could be living in a mansion. On this planet, on this earth, we could come from the, the most vilest place of severe addiction that we look absolutely horrific, not only to the world, but even to the church. And yet, no matter where we come from, the mother, the father comes into the adoption room and no matter where we've been in our history, they say, I want you. I choose you to be part of my family. And not just any family. A family of all families. With a parent of all parents. A loving father who is like no other. No matter where or what. I want us to sing this song with Cream and uh, Jennifer as they come. And I want us to just to worship the Lord and thank God for this wonderful invitation to be a part of his family. I want to encourage you. Would you pray with me about your part? Pray that God would show and reveal to you the good things that God has for you and his family. Are you engaged in your Abundant Life Church family? I, friends, it's part of God's plan for your life. If you are doing things and engaged, praise God. Thank you for being a part. Thank you for coming every Sunday. Even if you're not engaged, I want you to know you're loved. You're loved because you're part of the family of God. Our hope is that you will see that and sense that and others will be drawn into your world that you'll be able to invite to this family. This family with you, it's loving people. Come on now, it's good looking people. You are, you're good looking. When you come in on Sunday morning, this is one of the, I've heard so many times of people that visit, this is the friendliest church I think I've ever been to. I like that, amen? That shows the love for the family.